Welcome to PodCash, the portable professional development podcast from Cash Alumni. Cash Alumni is the fastest growing association of professionals in care, health, and education. And we're happy to have you here. This is where you'll hear from specialists and experts from across our network. Here's what's coming up. One of the fantastic things about play is it is a free space where you can make mistakes and you can fail. Yes, there can be lots of laughter, but it's not directed at someone in a nasty way. It's just about laughing together and going, oh, it's a mistake, right, how do we overcome this and how do we do that? And that's one of the reasons why I love playing in the classroom. Let's jump in to this week's episode. I'm Faye Cole and I'm a lecturer in early years. I've been working in the sector for over 20 years now, which is a little bit scary that that time seems to have vanished and disappeared. But over those 20 years, I've had the opportunity to work in lots of different areas of the sector. I've been a nanny, play worker, early years educator and I suppose for the last 10 years or so now I've been lecturing which is an absolute joy to work with those people entering into the vocation. Really enjoy it. I'm based in Northern Ireland. You can probably tell from my accent I'm not originally from Northern Ireland. I grew up in London and moved here with the family for I suppose a quieter and uh, happier way of living. It's a bit more slow paced over here. Um, not when it comes to work. However, that keeps that's that's pretty much the same. I suppose the reason, one of the reasons why I'm here today, is because during lockdown, I also got a new title, I suppose, which was as an author. And I put in a proposal to write my book, Intergenerational Practice in Schools and Settings, which was then published in. December 2022 and that is all things intergenerational from early years up to further education and higher education and I suppose that's why I'm talking to you today Dawn. That's really exciting Um, I'll get into to the actual how you came to decide to write a book bit in a, in a little bit because I am very interested in that but um, why intergenerational practice? What is it that interests you about that? It wasn't something that I expected to go in. You know, my role is early years. I hadn't worked in health and social care, although, as as you would know, the two can be very closely linked within the college environment. And when we're learning, you know, there's different units that overlap. Intergenerational practice. It wasn't so much I was interested in that, but I was interested in community work and bringing people together and the importance of us coming together as a society, I suppose. And we would have done a lot of social action projects alongside our course that we so students would be working towards maybe a level three or a level two early years qualification. And what we want for the students is for it to be hands-on and practical and for them to actually try out new things for themselves. One evening I was sitting there and I'd I'd actually watched the programme and I sort of stay away from this a little bit because you don't want to be just piggybacking on the back of something else. But I'd watched the programme, the care homes and older people coming together. And I thought, why can't we do that? That's maybe something we could do. And I suppose that was the start of my journey to actually look at how could we do that in a sustainable way where we bring people together in the college environment to learn together, work together, and something that would benefit everybody. It's not just a case of, oh, let's bring all these people into the room and it all looks great. It's about something that's actually going to benefit those people coming. So that was how it started with a proposal. And thankfully, the college were very supportive and said, yep, this all sounds really good. Did take a bit of bit of consideration, you know, and because we had to think about the students leading this. Although I planted the seed, 
this wasn't me running it. I didn't have time in my job to take anything else on. This had to be something that linked linked to their qualification that would enhance their learning and their ideas and their capacity to be leaders moving forward into the into their job roles as well. So we started off with an intergenerational cafe where people were invited in from care homes and from the local area. So we made links with different community organisations and got them to spread the word. And then we worked with a P1 class as well. So that was four to five year olds who've just entered into into mainstream education. We had one class come over and it the student's job was to put together play opportunities that would benefit both the children and the older people as well. And there was a lot around relationships. And it was very much thinking about, in terms of their units, thinking about health and safety. You have to think about that in everything you're doing but also about things like communication, how were they going to communicate with the children and with the adults as well. And that really raised their confidence in what they were doing. It was about the play and the understanding the curriculum and how can we actually get children to learn through play? How can we give them new opportunities? All of the diversity as well, different groups. So it was actually pinpointing, not spreading it too widely, but pinpointing different learning outcomes that we could work on each session. And it was just... It was just a wonderful experience, you know, and there was a real buzz every month when the cafe was coming. It was busy. (laughs) It was like, oh my goodness, we've got so much to do, so much to organise. But everyone knew what their job was. They knew what their role was. They would take ownership of it. They would plan it because they had to, because we had people coming. So they had to be responsible for their area of learning and and their area of expertise in what they were going to lead on that day. So all was going great. It was rolling and it was going fantastically. And then lockdown came. And going from having 30 children, maybe 20 students, maybe another 20 older people coming in, obviously that wasn't going to happen during lockdown where we're all suddenly told we have to work from home. It was hard. I have to say it was the hardest thing that I had to cancel because I knew how much of an impact it was making on people. I knew how everyone was really enjoying it from the older people telling us, you know, this is my only time out once a month that I get. I haven't seen anyone. It was so important. So to cancel it was was heartbreaking. And I have to say the students really kept me going during that time because they were like, there's something we can do. What can we do to keep this going? And we ended up doing some projects online, which weren't the same feels like a lifetime ago now, but when I was doing my daily loop of where I live, because I live quite close to where I work as well, I was walking past one of the independent living centres and all of these pictures that the students have drawn, that the children had drawn from the primary schools that we'd gathered up were all displayed in the windows. And it was like, you know, that we did that. That's something that we've kept that connection with. Then that's where the book came about, because at that point then I thought we've had all of these experiences, all these opportunities And I have a, maybe not a rest is the right word, but I have a period where I have the opportunity to take on a new project. And that was where I put together a proposal of the book to share with other people the learning that we'd had and also to maybe interview a lot of other people who had had intergenerational experiences and use that practice to enhance their own educational settings and put that into words. So it was daunting, to say the least, to, to suddenly get the proposal back and then the publishers to say, yes, please, we'd like you to write the book. But it was also really exciting and it gave me a purpose because in those two years I was thinking, right, okay, 
all of those wonderful experiences we've had, we're now ready to share and we can come back to. And reflection, as you know, is so important for early years educators. It was actually a really positive pause to to do that in. Wow. Um, It sounds like an amazing project. I think a lot of people who think about intergenerational learning find it really easy to see the benefit of intergenerational learning for children and young people. Obviously, there's more experience and more expertise in the room that can be shared with those young people and stories from times when those young people and children weren't yet around and um, a lot of enrichment around that. I think it's more difficult for people to maybe initially see what the benefits are for the older people who are involved. Can you talk a little bit about the stuff that you saw from that, that that impacted those older people? Yeah, so when we were working on this project, we also involved health and social care students as well, because we had to take it from the two elements. And it was such an enriching learning environment that the more people that could participate, the, the better it was and the more sustainable it was. So certainly that's something to consider when you're setting up any sort of intergenerational environment where it has to be mutually beneficial. So it can't just be for the children and people, if you want people to come back, you have to make it worthwhile. So that was very much why we took that informal approach with the opportunity to have a cup of tea and for the students to have a glass of juice and to have a chat. And that was one of the reasons why some of the older residents wanted to come along was purely for that social experience. And it was really powerful, actually, when you suddenly realise, you know, you're living in your community and you think there's loads on and there's lots of things happening. When you actually delve a little bit more into the surface, you realise there's a lot of people are lonely and you don't have to be on your own to be lonely. But there are a lot of people who are living independently or living in a care home. They're not going out to see other people. They haven't got that family around them who may be coming to visit. So that in itself was a huge impact. And especially with extended families living quite far away nowadays, you know, that was something that the children, you know, going back to the children, that was something they really enjoyed was having those types of those intergenerational relationships with having that 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 love and that care shown towards them. And even being able to relate, you know, and it was what we were able to see was that older people were really wanting to come you know ringing me up or sending me an email when is it next on can we come along and also you know when you're telling them about it you've got to get out into community and you have to ask them and you have to talk to them sending out flyers or leaflets that's not going to work you have to make connections and you have to build relationships and that's probably one of the biggest things before you do anything else is explaining why you're doing it and asking them what do they want from it and it might be to pass on a skill There were people coming with different expertise, different experiences in life, and they were coming to us and maybe doing a little, you know, not presentation, but that sort of informal discussion with the children to share some of those getting out to the garden. We were lucky to have sort of outdoor environment or even bring in the garden inside where they could do that. And one of the benefits of the college as well is that when you're in a vocational environment, you have all of these different subject areas who can come and support you. So you might have sports students who can help and maybe look at some of the physio and look at some of the dancing or those things. And I have to say music and dancing was a big part of what we were doing. We suddenly found out that students were able to play the piano and play different instruments. And suddenly we were up doing different shows and songs and sing-alongs. And it was just that in itself 
really brought a happiness to those people that were participating. So I would definitely say think about who who you're going to invite and they'll be very honest with you. They might say, no, I don't want to come. And that's at their discretion. Um, but if they do want to come, it's about understanding what they want from that and listening to how do they want to contribute. Some people might not want to contribute. They might just want to come and sit. You know, there was a few people who came along and said, yep, I just, I want to come. I don't want to do anything. And it's like, that's okay, just come along. And then, you know, we just started to build on those relationships too. So it is about getting to know who you're working with and why you're there, changing it up. Reflection was a big part of it. After every session, we would have a reflection together, what went well, what didn't go so well and went from there. That's great. And then, so I know you said that the book came out of, you'd sort of done the project or done part of the project and then lockdown and you you saw this space that you could fill with something new. But from your area of the world and early years and all of those things, that doesn't seem like a natural necessarily thought progression, I would imagine for a lot of people. Like, I've got some time. I know what I'll do. I'll write a book and I'll make a proposal and we'll do all of that bit as well. Like, how how did that work in your head? Where did that idea come from? What made you want to write a book? Yeah, <laughs> it's not a natural progression. And I've always I've always enjoyed writing. I've never thought of it as something I would do. It, but it is something that's always been a bit of an outlet for me. And if, you know, even at the beginning of lockdown, when that came, I started journaling, which I hadn't done in absolutely years, but it was just lovely getting those sports. So I haven't looked back at that, actually. One day, maybe I will, but uh, look back at that. Um, but some of the, uh, well, a lot of the encouragement actually came, whereas using, a, there's an online community called Joy of and they have a writing room, which opens its doors twice a week. And it was a, a community that came together during lockdown. And it was made up of different, mainly FE um, educators from across the UK, sometimes further afield. But the writing rooms were just a space where you could spend 90 minutes writing something. And I'd seen a couple of other people writing books and I thought, that's so cool to be an author. I'd love to do something like that. And then I sort of thought to myself, well, why couldn't I do something like that? And when I wrote the proposal, all the editors give you guidelines on how to put your proposal together. And I wrote the proposal. I don't know if anyone else does this, but then I sat on the computer, hovered over the send button going, should I actually send it? And then eventually I just went click and it was away and it was sent. And then I didn't think very much of it. It was sort of, I'd done the proposal and that was the end of it so then your proposal gets sent off to three different people to review to give you feedback and the editor makes a decision as to whether or not they want it to go ahead and when they came back to me yes please we would like this to go ahead it was like a real it was quite scary and it was very daunting there was that excitement when you get your admissions letter for university and you think oh it's great that I got in but now I've actually got to do this exactly (laughs) you know you write this fantastic UCAS statement of all these different experiences it's exactly the same thing so it was very daunting and to suddenly think all of these words I have to write all of these chapters but the proposal actually helps you because within that you've set what you're going to put into each chapter so that was really useful because I knew right okay so this is I had my ideas to put forward and what has been really special actually is that is is the feedback that I've had from students 
because they have been so kind and so supportive of, of me doing this and they've been like, you know, you, you're an orphan now and I still sort of think, like, am I? Is that is that who I am? You know, because I don't like labels anyway. I don't like it, how we're all told we're this, that or the other. But it was really nice to see them and to also to be able to say, students, well, this, you can do this. I've done the same pathway as you. I've gone through the vocational route. I trained as a nursery nurse with my MVQ and I've gone on and I've gone in all different directions. And this is now the direction that I take on. And I'm now just submitted this summer my second manuscript for my second book, which is on project-based learning. So it's, it's, this is, I'm going to take a break and do something different now, but this has been a really exciting journey for me to say, right, I've got my two books on two things that I'm really passionate and excited about. And then we can go back and try find something new. And I do need to have a project. I am one of those people. I'm not very good at sitting down. You know, if I can be in the middle of something, that keeps me happy. This is Podcash, brought to you by Cash Alumni. If you're enjoying this conversation, please use your podcast app to follow or subscribe. So you never miss an episode. That's really interesting. And it's exciting that you've done a second proposal and that that might be another thing that we'll get to read at some point in the future. Is writing a book a nice excuse to look into something in a bit more detail? It sounds a little bit like it's a way for you to to justify doing a project that you actually really want to do anyway and it gives you a reason to say well I'm doing it because of this. I'm really nosy you know I love to know what's going on in the world I'm really curious um yeah I wouldn't be poking into your business but if you I want to hear your story you know I want to know what people are telling me so that was a lovely part of it because all of a sudden I have this opportunity to communicate with people from all across the globe some of those people I knew already some people were new you know I'd sort of put information out saying you know, would you like to talk about this topic and all of these fantastic people came back and went yeah I'd like to talk about that and that actually was a really really nice way to spend time you know interviewing someone for an hour writing up your notes on that sending it back to them seeing if they were happy all of that was That's absolutely lovely. Happened. And that's yeah. really nice. And I wanted to talk to people about interesting things. And that's, that's how you're here now. <laughs> yes. And you learn so much from talk. You know, I was learning. I was on a journey of, of learning as well and listening to how other people did it. And that's something I have to say about the intergenerational sort of community that's out there. I have not met anyone who isn't supportive and who isn't an advocate for everyone else. So it's like you sort of, you're meeting your tribe as you're going around. There's all these people doing all these fantastic things. And then they say, yeah, oh, look, here's my stuff. And you swap it and you share it. And then you build on what you're already doing. So it's not about reinventing the wheel. And I would say that as if you are looking to do, go on to implement intergenerational practice into your own classrooms or into your own settings, I'd say talk to the people that are out there because they are really open and want intergenerational practice in all of these places so so we'll be there to support you so definitely that was um that was a great thing and it is great because all of a sudden I can you know I am a nerd I love reading I love looking at things and I can say right look at all of this stuff out here to say why we need to focus on this and it's definitely taught me a lot about that importance of community and people coming together 
caring and supporting one another, which sometimes in society we don't have as much as as we would like. And you've mentioned community a few times now, like both in a general way in terms of the intergenerational community and that idea of bringing people together as a community, but also some of the communities that you are part of online. How do you feel that like online communities and communities that come together around specific topics teach us things about community in general and that sort of the world that we live in and the way that people interact with each other. For me, online has been is a massive part of my life of talking to people and, and make and getting to know people and learning new things as well. And as you said, you know, you've mentioned Joy of and the EY tag team as well. It's probably my first. I suppose community that I joined online went through Twitter when I first started on there and they've been a great support. And Helen, who runs that, has just been, you know, she'll just, if you ask her anything, she'll find you you the answer somehow, even if she doesn't know it, which is fantastic. But definitely it's something I would recommend to students and to other educators as well is to start to talk to people. And it's just as if you're talking to people face to face as well. It's not just about putting something out into the world and thinking that you're going to get something from that, because you're probably not, is about actually reading through the various things that they're making, comments, thinking about your values and how you respond to everyone online, you know, because it's 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 part of us, you know, how we're behaving as well, which is really important. I've made firm friends and firm connections where I can actually say to people, look, I've got this something that's not quite working. You know, what do you think? And people come back to me. It's a different sort of community than the ones where I have here, but they're still, you know, still been in tea and coffee spaces online where we've, you know, got together and we've had conversations. And it is, I think, for professional development, I have learned so much from being active certainly on Twitter. Well, it's not called Twitter anymore now. It's like the X now, but I'm going to be old school and stick with it a while longer. Um, But, you know, it is, it's about thinking about what do you want to share and how, you know, what do you want from, from being present and visible on, on those social platforms. And it's also something I use with students as well. So, um, Facebook, I'm quite active on Facebook and Instagram as well, where something we're maybe learning in the classroom Students can then spend a bit of time reading on a blog or on a vlog. And then it's not just me commenting and they don't just have to listen to me, but there's all these other professionals sharing information as well. And it's like, oh, that's, yeah, that links with what we're doing. And you recently won an award for your use of social media. Tell me a little bit about that and what that was like. So that was really exciting and it was a bit unexpected as well. And that was the NI Social Media Awards. So that happens, it's an annual event in in the Europa Hotel in Belfast, which is a beautiful um, location. And I was nominated for best use of social media in education in Northern Ireland. And I didn't think too much of, you know, I didn't expect to win. It was like the nomination was so excited to have that. Actually, part of it was because of the intergenerational activities that we'd done on social media as well, where we'd done like storytelling and reading together and and pictures back and forwards as well. And then part of it was also just that use of how it's used. So if you go onto my Facebook, um, which is called Mrs. C's Early Years Education Forum, or on my Instagram, 
then you'll see that there's different posts and different blogs that students, as I said, can engage with and also showcasing what they're doing as well, which is a really great platform to be able to show their work so that future employers and different people can go, that's what that group of people do, actually. That's good. They're working hard and they're gaining new knowledge. So that's really good as well. So when the awards were announced, I had won and didn't quite believe it. It was I was quite shaky getting on and off the stage because I, I hadn't expected to win. I just thought I was having a really nice night out with my mum, all glammed up, and it was really special. But to win the award was really exciting because it felt like recognition for all of those hours of time I put in. And it is something I love, but it is something that I commit a lot of time to. So to have that recognised was very nice, actually. And I'm glad that you've recognised in your answer that it's something that you dedicate a lot of time to because I think with listening to this and having had conversations with you before, I think it would be quite easy to be struck by how much you do. Um, You have a full-time job role and then all of this social media and sharing and writing a book and the general projecty stuff that you get involved in, all of these communities that you're part of. How do you manage having a life outside of what, for all it seems like you really enjoy and is fun, is still work? I don't want to take for granted and go, oh, look, I can fit it all in. Because there are days where I think, oh my goodness, why have I taken on so much? And my first priority before anything else, I've got three beautiful children and they come first. That's that's the end of it. You know, if they need me, then they're my priority and they're at an age now where they're not early years so I'm not running around doing all the exciting busy stuff anymore I'm more driving a car to about 50 different places every week to make sure they're where they want to be which I don't begrudge at all (laughs) but it it is I know the reason why I can do this is because it's all things that I want to do I'm in a very fortunate position where I have a job that I really enjoy there are times where like any job is is difficult or tricky parts of that but that's the main thing is that it's a job I enjoy and it keeps me busy I've been at the same place for you know a number of years now but it's something always different and that keeps me interested in what I'm doing as well and then with the projects I am realistic you know is it's yes it's a lot to take on certainly writing a book but I enjoy writing And then what I would do is have mini goals every week, you know, so it's a certain amount of words or a certain amount that I want reading that I want to do. And then say meeting you, I've got a quiet week this week so that I know I can fit in these little things. And with social media, I am actually quite strict where my notifications will get switched off at certain points of the day. So I haven't got ping, ping, ping all the time. And my children will notice if I do have that ping because they'll say, mum, your phone's on, you need to turn it off and Okay, you know, so when I get home, it's our family time. And that is really important. But I do think a lot of it is because it's things I want to do. And there are projects I say no to just because I know it's too much. And I also admit I ask for help, (laughs) which I think actually we need to do more of is that I know I've got a great support network around me. Whereas I say, can you help with this? Or I don't understand this, then they'll they'll be there to help me out. And that's really important that sort of knowing your boundaries and being able to to fill your time with things that fill your cup rather than drain you and I love the idea that your kids keep you accountable to that time that belongs to them or that belongs to you rather than that you're given to everybody else following some of your social media I know that some of the stuff that you post about is related to 
practitioners looking after themselves um, and the idea of sort of self-care in a sector that can be antithetical to self-care. It can be all about giving. How do you stay on top of self-care in general around all of this amazing stuff? Yeah, you know, it's any of us that worked in this sector will know where there are times where it becomes overwhelming and we don't practice self-care all of us you know I've noticed even this month following working full-time writing the book I wasn't getting outside enough and now that the book's finished I'm now going out for my walks again every evening and already I'm like oh my goodness why why did I give up that little part that I needed but it is something that's so important and again I think it comes back to boundaries is if you are taking all of the all of this work on and it is getting too much you have to say to someone is there's no other people won't recognize if you have taken on too much you know so you have to be honest and you have to share with people if you feel that you know there's just too much for you to be able to deal with you need to think about those deadlines if you've got five deadlines due on the same day it's not going to happen you know, so talking and working that out so that you have a plan. I also write down everything I've achieved. So it's not just a to-do list, it's everything that I have done. And even just looking back over the day, if you think, oh, I've had one of those days, I've done nothing today. And then you look back at your list and you actually, no, I have got X, Y, Z organised, which is really important. I think sometimes we have to say yes more. I had my summer holiday with the children and they were asking me, oh, will you come and climb this tree with me? Or will you come and do this? And I said, Yes. It's very easy to say no to things. And, you know, it's about actually saying yes to the fun stuff. And if your house isn't, if you've still got dust in the house, if it's still messy, which I have to say mine definitely has, then that's okay. You know, it doesn't matter if you if you do slip or we haven't got these perfect Instagrammable lives. None of us have. There's times where everything goes wrong days where you feel overwhelmed, but it's about actually giving yourself that chance to go that's okay, I'm allowed that day, and then I pick myself up and we we move forward. But you do, you need to take your breaks, you need to have a cup of tea with your colleagues, and you need to enjoy life, because otherwise, what are we doing? Yeah, my mum always told me that a clean house is a sign of a boring life. Well, I'm glad, I'm with your mum on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I definitely have a corner of the house that's for meetings, that is very tidy looking um but i'll not turn my computer around so you can see the other side of the screen not a chance (laughs) (laughs) um this is all ace and how how does it all knit together so it sounds as though there's some quite disparate things that you're interested in and maybe a little bit like me that you're sort of interested in everything how do you decide what fits and what doesn't well i suppose that's something I've really thought about over the last couple of years because it and that's again self-care actually where you can spread yourself too thinly and be doing a little bit of everything but not really going into it which is great and that works but if some of the projects I've been thinking about you know if you're spending a lot of time on them you've really got to be interested in them and I suppose for me it came back to my values and I've really honed in over the last couple of years of what what really are those values that are important to me? Now, you wouldn't be surprised that community is one of those. So all of the projects that I would do the additional work on is on community. Play is really important, not just for children, but for adults as well. I really feel that is so valuable, which, again, if you think about it, it links in with the intergenerational stuff, the play of all ages. Um, kindness, 
we've talked about self-care there and the need to look after ourselves. It's about being kind, not just to others, but also to ourselves. The fourth value that is really important to me is curiosity. So going out there, exploring and everything I do, I, I look at those four words and I have a big mind map actually of all of the, uh, the other things I do and how they come back to those values. So when I'm writing, say, for your magazine, the Cash Alumni magazine, I think, right, when I'm looking at my values, what could I write about that links in with something that would engage your readership? And the last one was all about play day, which was really exciting. But there instantly I'm thinking about my play values and the knowledge that I already have and the not just the knowledge I have, but the learning that I'm going to do on that subject because I enjoy it. So I suppose really, even though it seems like I'm involved in all these different things, it all stems back to those four words. So I know when I'm planning out my year, that's what everything's going to be based on. And there's going to be different things that come out, but they've all got to link with that because that's something that I feel comfortable with and feel like that's what I want to put out into the world. And you talked about community and play as part of those sort of values. And I can say all of those values fitting in really well with the intergenerational learning project and piece. Did you see some of that learning by the grown-ups involved in the intergenerational learning project where maybe they came with the idea that they were going to teach children things but they went away learning things about themselves or having tried something new. Initially on that point one of the fantastic things about play is it is a free space where you can make mistakes and you can fail. Yes there can be lots of laughter but it's not directed at someone in a nasty way it's just about laughing together and going oh it's a mistake right how do we overcome this and how do we do that and that's one of the reasons why I love playing in the classroom and it is serious you know it's not just something as an add-on it is something you're talking about figuring things out what's a puzzle you know that's how we do it and that learning moving forward it's that same sort of working it all out in our head and how we play with that information we didn't have so much people come in with this sort of preconception there were certainly characters there who were like right you're going to do this and you're going to do that and actually one of the fantastic things about play is that the children didn't really respond to that so then they just laugh and then they just engage in the play as well and go all right then and go with it so it was about recognizing actually instantly that yes this is how it's I had a retired teacher who had worked at that school that was now coming you know she'd worked there 30 years ago and now had a whole group of different children and she actually really just loved that opportunity to educate those children again and and we loved it it wasn't about her you know she had these expertise of all of these years of experience of teaching and was able to bring that and we were able to learn from her as well so there wasn't too much of this is how it's going to be or you know you're going to learn from me but I think it's actually because of play that it wasn't like that because actually it was just a case of everyone mucking in people sitting back if they didn't want to or people participating if they did. That's great. And what did you learn from the Intergenerational Learning Project? I learned so much. I, and I can't, well, I suppose if you read the book, then you, you'll know. <laughs> it is, it's one of the, it's, it's, so all of anyone listening, please read, read it and tell me what you think. But it was, I, the need for us to feel we belong, I suppose, was one of the biggest things for me, is we're all living our lives and we're all busy, busy. And when you're working in any sort of education or setting, there are so many targets and stats and everything else that we have to work towards. But actually, we are going to achieve the most when we are feel that we're safe, feel that we belong, and 
recognize that we are contributing. So for me, I suppose that was the biggest thing. The biggest thing as well was how wonderful it was in terms of that belonging for students to go out outside of the college and then every so often I'd maybe see someone on the high street chatting to one of the older people and they'd stopped and they were having that relationship on the street and suddenly there was that connection and also seeing that young people and older people are often sort of forgotten about in society. You know, you've got the the terrible young people walking the streets, but actually they've got nowhere to go. And then you've got the old people, you know, they're a drain on society. And it's like all of these stigmas and these awful preconceptions people have that actually people were starting to learn about one another and were able to have conversations and build those and be challenged in their thinking as well. You know, the younger people challenge the older people and that was quite quite big you know to actually at, at, at that stage of life to go okay I'm wrong here and I agree with you on that so that was a big thing and what I also learned as an educator was to take a step back it's not about me singing and dancing this is about the students actually having that confidence to be able to go I've got an idea and then for us to be able to facilitate that and say okay run with it and let's learn together. So that was probably my biggest learning journey through the intergenerational cafe. I can imagine that being quite difficult as someone who's quite driven and has developed their own way of working and of getting stuff done and, you know, figured things out over over such a, a period of time where at least to somebody from the outside, you seem really sorted, like really we've got all the things figured out. Like how how hard was it to be a bit more hands-off and to let people make their own mistakes? Firstly, I definitely haven't got everything figured out. I wish I did. (laughs) That's that's definitely, you know, it's funny. I see all these other people tell me how good it is and I'm like, I'm just me. So that's definitely, I suppose, I have to have a bit more confidence in myself at times. But I sort of live with this, this, this opinion that what's the worst that could happen? And it's like, if you let students take ownership of the day what is the worst that's going to happen well they're going to learn and they're going to feel empowered you know it's it's okay to take a day where you do something differently now you do have to have the trust of your wider team to do things like that and that definitely supported me and how this approach was taken and certainly when I'm looking at all of the project-based stuff as well it's about the educators facilitating rather than directing students to what they're doing and I actually I enjoy that I suppose that's why I'm in the classroom I don't want to be, none of us have all of the answers. None of us should. Life would be very boring if you knew everything. So for me, actually, it's really nice for students to teach me something and for me to go, okay, that's new. Let's learn together and let's figure something out and how we can use this information. Because my main objective is for those people within the classroom to go out and give young children the very best possible start. I'm not going to be there. No other teacher's going to be there. They have to do that. So if I can see them really strong and confident, being kind to those around them, being confident in what they're doing, I know I've done my job. And that's the most important thing, actually, for me, is to to have that step back. I don't, I, certainly, I wouldn't be one of these teachers that would stand talking at you for any length of time, unless it's like, like something really exciting to talk about, and then I won't stop until they tell me that it's time to stop. <laughs> That's great. And I suppose that makes loads of sense with the whole intergenerational learning project as well. That idea that it's more about 
teaching people how to be a bit more nosy and how to use that nosiness to make connections with other people and to learn things wherever you are in whatever circumstances you find yourself in you can you can learn stuff i have definitely been on a journey with this book and with this project and what i would say is for anyone thinking of starting out something intergenerational to do so because the value that it brought was just unbelievable and what has been really lovely to see actually is students not just run the cafe but also to go out and run seminars and do presentations and one of the highlights for I know a couple of the students was a head teacher coming to them and saying we've implemented this because of what you said and that was really big for students because it was like um, I've influenced a head teacher they've listened to what I've had to say at 17 that's really important and really valuable that that came about if anyone reads the book if they read it and they think you know I want to try this I don't know where to go what direction to go I'd say reach out you know certainly contact me on social media what one of the charities that has been incredibly supportive to me is Lincoln Generations Northern Ireland they're a charity who advocate and support intergenerational activities across the country and but are very open across the UK as well and they have their partners within the each of the countries who they would work very closely with. So I'd have to give a shout out to just all of the hard work they do. Thanks for listening to Podcash. If you enjoyed it, please follow or subscribe on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. You can also watch many of these conversations by heading over to cashalumni.org.uk and going to the CPD and best practice section of the site. That's cashalumni.org.uk.